Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Super excited today because we're going we're gonna to learn lots. As one of the two plastic surgeons on the hit series Botched, a new season is now airing on E! Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Dr. Terry Dubrow has literally changed people's lives through the procedures he's performed. He and Dr. Paul Nassif treat their patients with great respect and always end up with mind-blowing results. Terry is the father of four and the husband of my friend and favorite Dubrow, Heather, (laughs) one of the Real Housewives of Orange County. Here to talk about life, love, and lip lifts, Dr. Terry Dubrow. Welcome Welcome to Group Text, Terry. Oh, it's so fun to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I can't wait to talk to you about all these things. Yeah, the last time we saw each other, you were the beaming... I want to say arm candy, but that's wrong, of Heather backstage at BravoCon. Oh, we didn't see each other at the restaurant, Craig's no. recently? Oh, that no, was BravoCon. Craig's was before BravoCon. Okay, yeah, short-term memory loss. Uh, yeah, BravoCon, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? It's crazy. I know. That, you know, was, it's funny. First, that, that was my first one. You know, it's funny, my brother... I don't know if you're aware of this. My brother was a rock star in the 80s, like a bona fide number one album rock star. Who? He was the lead singer of a band called Quiet Riot. I remember. They, they had the big hair. And didn't they have the video where they got like thrown across some into kid, some kid's room? That's right. Metal Health. So come on, feel the noise, right? Yep. Yeah. So Kevin Debro, the lead singer, right? So I remember going with him he sold out the forum back in 84 and we were backstage and he opened up the curtain and like 14,000 people was, <laughs> and uh oh there's heather making fun hi, of me heather. right now say hello listen oh. hi hi <laughs> we're talking about your brother-in-law what we're talking about like, kevin he's my got kevin. he's got things in his ears go anyway away. love you this is about me now go ahead go even though she said you were her favorite to bro <laughs> but anyway and so it was, I always thought, wow, what would it be like to be, you know, a rock star? And then you go to BravoCon, and basically you're like a rock star there. You know, you pull up in your car, and there's thousands of people, Terry, Heather. And so what a trip that was. Yeah, it's, it, you have to see it to believe it. Um, but I do want to talk a, a little bit about your career and things like that. So, and then yeah. we can circle back to our crazy lives. Okay, so I had your partner on Botched, Paul Nassif, on the show, and I asked him the same question I'm going to ask you right off the bat. Why plastic surgery? So for me, I'm sure he told you some incredibly dull story about a dog bite or something, right? I remember. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for me, you know, I went to UCLA Medical School, and I thought I was going to be a heart surgeon. And why a heart surgeon? Because it was sort of the most hair-on-fire life-saving kind of job you could have. You have to be cool under pressure, very good with math and science. It was sort of perfect for my kind of vibe. High intensity, I don't need any sleep. But my second year of med school, this amazing human being, this plastic surgeon, Professor Ucilli, walks in, turns, down the, turns the lights down, and shows you this slide presentation of what, what he called the last true renaissance field in medicine, plastic reconstructive surgery and this really low voice. He wore cowboy boots. Anyway, he starts by showing you cancer reconstruction, cleft lip, cleft palate, burns, 
cosmetic surgery, microsurgery, putting fingers back on, all these things that may everyone may or may not know what a plastic surgeon does besides just cosmetic surgery. And by the end of that 55-minute lecture, all my hopes and dreams of becoming a heart surgeon went out the window and I had to do this. It was just head to toe, the coolest kind of medicine, what I really wanted to achieve in surgery, which is to be able to do all these different things. Unfortunately, in my day, you had to go through full-blown general surgery training just to get into a plastic surgery program. So I did a seven-year general surgery residency with all the gunshot wounds and the cancer reconstruction and the burns and everything else. And then I stayed at UCLA for plastic surgery. It's interesting you bring that up because I was going to ask you next. A lot of plastic surgeons that I know pivot and go into microsurgeries. My the my hand surgeon was a plastic surgeon. And I said to him, I'm like, one day, like, why did you change to being a hand guy? He's like, it's the same skill set in the precision and the little and the micro and the pretty. And his actual line was, I couldn't handle hearing another middle-aged woman discuss her boobs. <laughs> He's like, I... Can I just tell you, I had the same experience in the middle of my career. There was a time where I would come home to Heather about 10 years in and go, I hate this job. She goes, why? I go, because the difference between happy and unhappy is a millimeter bump on the nose is happy, not happy, happy. You know, these micro changes that really were so irrelevant. And I thought all this training in microsurgery, burn surgery, congenital surgery, general surgery to 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 do you know to suck some fat out of a thigh so i became very disillusioned with it fortunately for me my life changed when botched came when all of a sudden i became a super specialist in doing basically revisional plastic surgery as you know on disasters and that completely changed my whole career and that's my version of what a hand surgeon or microsurgeon or reconstructive surgeon, I get to fix bad cosmetic surgery. Which is a whole specialty, and we'll get into that. But when I said to him, like, why? And he's like, it's the same. It's why you guys all got into plastics, which was the really the reconstruction. And it's really an art. And everything is so precise and has to be so perfect. You're all also very OCD, but that's a discussion between me and Heather. Okay. So if you hadn't gone into medicine, what would you have done? Other than, other than probably break your mother's heart. What would you have done? I mean, I hate to admit it, but I probably would have gone into some really nitpicky field in the law because I, I find many aspects of the law to be very similar. It can be very intense, long hours, really uses your brain. I actually have a big side career as, as a medical legal expert, and nothing is cooler than walking into the courtroom, raising your right hand, spell your first and last name, and sitting on that stand and being examined and cross-examined. It's very intense. It's very cool. But now I get to blend both of those things as a doctor and a person interested in the law. That's fascinating. It's a whole yeah, a yeah. whole side thing. Um, how did you meet your work husband? So I 
had just done a TV show in 2003 and four called The Swan. I don't know if you remember I this remember show. I remember The Swan. I was the plastic surgeon, one of two plastic surgeons on The Swan. And uh, I was the first plastic surgeon hired. And then I actually hired all. I picked all the other professionals on the show. So don't hold that against me because I know today, by today's standard, The Swan would never survive today's sensibilities, right? Could you even imagine even trying to sell that show now? Never, never. But so um, his mom and his sister came to me for consultations. They had had, believe it or not, some problem plastic surgery in the past. And so I fixed them. And I had a great, they had really wonderful personalities. Paul's mom was an amazing human being and his sister still is. And um, we got along really great. And they said, you know, uh, my brother, my son, you know, my son, the mom, He's in his plastic surgery training at USC. We want you to meet him. I go, great. So uh, he graduated. I was a few years ahead of him. I met him. And he goes, I was in Newport Beach at the time. And he said, listen, I'm opening up a practice in Beverly Hills. I'm an ear, nose, and throat facial guy. Why don't you come up and help me? And I'll do, you can do the body stuff and I'll do the face stuff. So we actually did that. We actually, 20 years ago, temporarily, were in practice together as I had my full-time practice in Newport Beach. I was just too busy in Newport Beach to continue doing that. But Paul and I worked together for like three years, became great friends. In fact, Heather and I went out to dinner with Adrian and Paul before they were even engaged. That's how long we've known each other. Yeah. And they were fighting like cats and dogs back then. And I remember saying to Paul, why are you marrying this girl when you really don't seemed to get along with her and then you know they got married and the rest is history but yeah i've known paul since way back when he was in his training and so how did you guys end up on botch together so he was on the real housewives of beverly hills oh right because of adrian yeah because of adrian that ended for him i was on the real housewives of orange county with heather and by the way i think it was both of us that sort of thought hey How'd you like to go on The Real Housewives? And I'm not sure Adrian was that into it at first. Heather was not into it at all. And um, his time on there, they broke up. It ended. And we were very good friends. And we became very sort of parallel adept at doing revisional plastic surgery. And we would talk on the phone about tough cases of the face. And I tell him what I'm doing on the body. and, And he says to me, why don't we do a show about fixing bad plastic surgery? And let's pitch that to Alex Baskin, who's now famous producer of, of, uh, of 31 productions, but I ever thought I could think he calls it 32 productions, but of housewives fame and Vanderpump fame and everything else. Um, and let's do a show. And I said, that's a terrible idea. And he said, why I go? Cause think about it. If all these wonderful plastic surgeons have attempted to fix this problem, plastic surgery, and they failed, and the failure rate is so high with this provisional plaster. Do you really want to put your reputation on the line and go on a national television show and show people that you failed most uh, a lot of the time? Because people don't really judge you, Melissa, by your before. Right. They don't say, oh, the before is a disaster. And if the after is not that good, they go, well, the before was so bad. That's at least a little bit of improvement. You have to hit a home run in plastic Every surgery. Time. Yeah. Every time. And so I thought, Paul, 
what if we don't hit a home run 25% of the time? I go 25% of our results are either going to be worse or not improved. It's not going to work. So I said, let's do a show about fixing congenital deformities, traumatic deformities. And so we pitched both shows to Alex because we knew him as the producer and creator of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And he thought, that's an interesting idea. But he didn't know whether Paul and I had any chemistry. He didn't know whether it would be entertaining above and beyond just the innately interesting part of doing plastic surgery. So he shot a three-minute sizzle of Paul and I, sizzle reel, of Paul and I just looking at pictures and talking about how we would fix it. And I've known Paul for so long, and I always teased him even way back in the day we first met. And I started teasing him in the sizzle. And Paul said, what do you think? You think we'll be able to sell this thing? And I probably not, because plastic surgery could be pretty dry and so on and so forth. And they put together the sizzle, and you could immediately see we had a the really interesting, fun, secret sauce relationship chemistry between us. We just did. You know, my yin was his yang and I teased him and he was really good at tolerating it and all this. And then to do revisional plastic surgery, even though high risk, and I thought it was kind of a bad idea, they they bought, they went straight to series. And I remember, which was what? I was going to say, what, you're in the 11th season? We're in our, we're in our 10th year 10th of year. doing botched. Yeah. Uh, we did, we're really... You know, whether or whether or not we get picked up for another season, we're waiting, but we sort of know, but we're waiting. But anyway, um, we did eight seasons of Botch and we did one season of a show called Botch by Nature, where we traveled around the country, which was really fun, but very exhausting. Um, but I remember we went straight to series and Paul and I are in New York and you've done this a million times. You're seeing they're promoting your new show or whatever and about to go on all these talk shows. And we're sitting at a, at a bar and we said, hey, would you mind turning on E? Because tonight we're on this new show. So the guy turns on the show and I'm sitting there looking at Twitter, which was very new back then, 10 years ago. Yeah. And so and all of a sudden it goes. I mean, it's like watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills now, Twitter feed. It's like hundreds of tweets, just tweets. It was just tweet after tweet. After. He goes, he goes, are people interested? I said, oh, my gosh, I can't even keep up with the enthusiasm for this. So I thought we may actually have a real show here. And sure enough, it was the biggest premiere since the Kardashians. They picked up the second season like that next day and they picked up another show simultaneously called botch by nature so we're off and running so that's how it happened and you didn't have to dine and dash that night we <laughs> can i just tell you one quick story so botched originally was called not botched it was called nip can i curse yeah on this bug it was called nip fucked <laughs> it was at, at, taken after nip tuck the tuck, tv yeah. show so it was called Nip Fucked, and they were going to say F asterisk K-E-D. And that was going to be the name of the show. So a week before the show came out, E calls us and goes, it's not called Nip Fucked anymore. We, we were so disappointed. We go, why? Because the advertisers don't like the F word in there. Right. So I said, what's it called? And they said, we changed the name to Botched. And we hated it. And we actually oh, yeah. were, we hate it because we thought it implied any doctor who had operated on before blew it. Right. And we thought our colleagues were going to hate us for doing a show called Botch. Turns out it's like the best title ever. Yeah. 
Um, before we start to get shallow, I want to talk about some of the meaningful procedures you've done. Which one stands out after all these years? Which so which was- which is the one that you still think about? So there was this woman who came in on the second season who, you know, they have these people who go to these illegal pumping, pumping parties, pumping mm-hmm. parties where they inject non-medical grade silicone in their face at, or caulking material from a hardware store unbeknownst to these people's victims in a hotel room. This woman had all this done. And then over time, the immune system had basically rejected the foreign body injected in her face. And she had these gigantic granulomas all over her face. And granulomas are what, like cysts? Inflammatory masses, like cysts, but they're solid, red, painful, all over her face, everywhere they were injected, right? And she she literally couldn't walk down the street. I mean, it just, it was like the elephant man. So- she came to us on the second season and she said, look, I've been to every doctor in this country that does this kind of thing. And no one will take me on because the chances of it going badly was so high because the problem is if you have an inflammatory mask, you go try to remove it. First of all, you may cut all the nerves in the face. And secondly, it may just inflame the immune system further and make the problem worse. So we brought her on the second season and we said the same thing. I'm sorry, we can't help you. And then it just bugged me. I just spent the next four or five months just thinking about it all the time. There's got to be a way to get these out without killing the skin, without cutting the nerves below. And then I remember four o'clock in the morning, I had an epiphany. I thought to myself, why am I trying to remove the entire mass? Why don't I go in there? with some orthopedic saws and cut out the central three quarters of the mass and just leave the rest in. Look, your face is cement anyway. It's all bones underneath the soft tissue. Who cares if you, if it feels like cement, just as long as you can't see it. And so the next season I brought her back and Paul thought this was a very bad idea because, you know, we, we don't want to have a disaster, no. a total disaster, a botch, because it could end the whole series, right? Well, you also don't want a, a total disaster on your conscience. Exactly. And if everybody, and then there's this other thing, right, where if everybody tells you you shouldn't be doing something, they're saying it for a reason. So if you've got too much hubris, you take her to the operating room, they'll just say, oh, you did that for TV, for entertainment, 14 surgeries before you said it was a bad idea. You did it anyway. That's human experimentation. But I, what I did was next, the season after that, I took her to the operating room and there was one right underneath the chin, one. And I said, let's just try this under local and see what happens. I did it. She healed perfectly, and I said, okay. And I took her that later on that season, opened up her entire face, and took every single one of these masses out, closed it, crossed my fingers, and completely changed her life. And that was like one of the most impactful cases for me. Another super, just fast forward, super impactful. I've had all these buttocks buttocks problems where people have these injections in them and a general surgeon has to cut out the entire buttock. I invented an operation to reconstruct the buttock where you take a person's love handles and you rotate them down 
into the tissue, lift the buttock skin over it, and I've been able to give people new buttocks from that. So that's been very cool too. Wow. Um, you know, people often come to you because they were born with a condition or parents are not happy with, and, and this season already, uh, what was her name? Um, Rashira really was said something so profound. She had all sorts of facial issues and an issue with her ear and you want, she wants you to repair her ear and cheek. And she tells us it's just because she wants to be able to wear sunglasses and earrings. Yeah. Which is something that we take so for granted. How do you not get emotionally involved? Because part of being a good surgeon, you have to, to have that emotional wall. You do. And, you know, it's funny because in the past, if Paul or I have lost it, we take a break and we just walk out and then we compose the, ourselves and then walk back in. But we're this season in particular, you know, particularly when they come, a person comes in with their parents and they had a congenital deformity. And because Paul has a new baby at home and I have four kids and you have kids and you know what I'm talking about with this, you know, once the parents are there with the child and you just think, what if this happened to me? You can't help but get emotionally involved. But I will tell you that I remember very early in my career, my two-year-old, one of my daughters, got smashed with a pail at school. And it literally filleted open her lip. And you could see her all her teeth. And Heather brings her in, crying, with my daughter sitting there. And I thought to myself, okay, I can take her to the emergency room see who's what plastic surgeon is on call. Hopefully they'll do a good job or I can just get it together. And I trust myself because I'm an experienced plastic surgeon at this point and do it myself. So my team put my daughter under anesthesia. I walk up to see my little baby daughter's face. And this is the one that looks like me. So there was always a special connection. Not that I don't love all my kids, but this one was like my mini me. And I walk up and I start to lose it for a second. And I go, get it together. Get in your general surgery mode, your gunshot wound mode with the patient's unstable. And if you don't make the right move in the next 45 minutes, they're not going to survive. And I just got into that training mode. And now... When I start to feel like this is too risky, this is too emotional, I just can go there. And we learn, you train yourselves. I think it's a lot like you know military in combat. You just right. find that space in your brain that allows you to be calm and to remove and divorce yourself from the normal emotions you might be exposed to. Right. Follow your training. Exactly. Um, you know, people really have different perceptions. And I do, of course, want to get shallow because that's my happy space, uh, right? <laughs> Paddling around in the shallow end of the pool. So when someone comes in for a consultation, for regular, shall we call it, plastic surgery, not reconstructive, not deformative. We call it primary. primary. Primary or trying to fix another plastic surgeon not so great work. Right. Um, what's the first thing you try and assess? I my first impression is always the person as a whole. I I sort of I put them in this are they crazy or are they not crazy? That's the first thing. 
Are there any red flags to their personality? Are they a contributing variable factor in the reason why they've had a problem? In other words, did they push a plastic surgeon too far? Look, if you go into a plastic surgeon's office asking for an operation, 99 out of 100 plastic surgeons with their expensive overheads and their fancy offices, they're going to operate on you. Whether they really believe it or not, uh, that they can help you or that they could or should help you, they're going to operate on you. I hate to say that, but it's just human nature. They, you know, we lead a very expensive existences with very high overhead. I never lived in that space. Neither has Paul, by the way, I can promise you. We never, but anyway, the first thing I do is evaluate whether the patient is a, has any red flags, whether they have unrealistic expectations, body dysmorphia, and weirdly, whether you just don't like them. You know, you meet a person yeah. and they can be a perfectly fine person. They can be friends with your other friends, but you instantly just don't like them. I will not operate on a person that pushes one of those buttons. So that's the first thing I evaluate. The second thing I evaluate is <clears throat> at this point, to be honest with you, this may sound kind of arrogant, but there's pretty much nothing I can't fix at this point because I have fixed, I've done 10 years of fixing the impossible that everybody else right. has passed on. There's pretty much nothing I, I feel like I can't, if not completely improve, at least get an A minus on the test, get right. a 92 out of 100, nothing. All right. So I know. By I the way, that must it. go over really well. When your kids try and use that line on you when they bring home, maybe not a great report card. <laughs> I know. That doesn't work, does it? I know. That's just a good point. <laughs> but anyway, so I say to myself, all right, how are they a yes, no, personality-wise? Can I fix the problem, which invariably is, is yes? And um, the third component is what if, it doesn't work. What right. if I have a complication? What if I make it worse? Okay. Because there's another thing when you're the botch doctor, the patient comes in, they know who you are. They're not doctor shopping. They want you to do their surgery. They're going to say yes to your consultation, which, you know, that's concerning because that means they're already maybe putting too much faith in you and they're not checking their gut. And you always got to check. Even if you come to someone like me who has a ton of experience, it can go south. It can and does go south. We do have complications. So I say to myself, what if I have a complication on this person? Are they going to go insane or are they going to stick with me and allow me to work through the complication to get to the other side of it? Because, you know, and, and that's kind of a good thing because if I have a complication on a patient or it doesn't turn out exactly as they want it, they know the best person to do the next tweak on it is still me. Right. So that's one advantage I have. They still trust me. The other thing with a plastic surgeon is you can be the greatest plastic surgeon in the world, but if you have a complication or it doesn't heal well, the patient almost always loses faith in you. To them, to you, to them, you're, you blew it. You're a loser. They think if you created it, you can't fix it. They don't have that with me. They think if I, if I have a complication, I go, you know what? It went, it didn't go right. Let me fix it. Cause you know, I can, they go, yeah, please fix it. So that's how I evaluate patients. What's the most asked, what currently is the most asked for surgery? Because things really do go in, in trends. cycles, yeah, and in trends. And what, also, by the way, 
what surgery do you find gets the best results? So there are a couple that are really reliable, right? Um, the ones that are really reliable, and I'll tell you the most commonly asked one, the ones that are really reliable are like the tummy tuck is like the most impressive before and after. If you're willing to tolerate the hip to hip scar, which if you've had a C-section, you're more likely to tolerate because you already have a scar anyway. But just in terms of like the before and the after, it's the most impactful on the body because it addresses all three layers, the skin, the soft tissue, and the muscle, which separates from pregnancy. So that one is the most, uh, one of the most common and most impactful. And then the facelift. Uh, a facelift works. It's just you get your old face back because, you know, most of your facial appearance is in the bones. So if a person has loose skin or they've gained some weight and a little excess fat with loose skin, you can make incisions, hide them very well, lift up the skin and pull it back. We love doing facelift because it's fun. It's a high end procedure and it works. Um, but I'll tell you the hot trend right now. So I don't know if you've been seeing me in the media. I know you probably don't follow me. I wouldn't follow me either. But the thing I've been asked to comment most about lately, particularly on TMZ Live, is this whole Ozempic drugs right. thing. That's the big thing that everybody's asking me about. And by the way, I'm getting my board certification by the American Board of Obesity Medicine in October. I'm going to take the test and get fully board certified in obesity medicine. Yeah, which is which we'll get into in a minute because you just brought up an interesting topic. Um, anyway, we'll get to that. So everyone asks you about Ozempic. So the big trend right now is because these drugs are so effective and they work so quickly, young people are looking very deflated and the young facelift, the young breast lift, the young tummy tuck, which is something, you know, normally if you have a facelift, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, we are seeing 30 year olds who walked around kind of chunky their whole lives. Now they're so thin and it happens so quickly. They need a facelift in their late thirties. Uh, it's not, they need it, but that's a very new trend, very common requested thing, an early, early facelift. And it's interesting though, you bring that up because I also like skin tightening, all those different things. Uh, you brought something interesting uh, that you're going to become an obesity doctor. Well, I don't plan on prescribing these obesity drugs. But for you know, a you're going to be a specialist in that as well, which folds very nicely into your main practice. A lot of people are saying now that it also, they're finding they're working on helping addiction and that it's, people are finding out that it's not as bad for you as originally advertised. A lot of the fear is coming out of it. Do you find that? Oh, completely. By the way, there you got you got to apply these adjectives to this these drugs because these adjectives are true. Miracle, game changing, breakthrough, life saving. These drugs are treating the number one risk factor for the four top causes of death: cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative disorders, cancer. These, obesity is the number one risk factor, and these drugs literally are the treatment for this disease. What's interesting, when you look at articles done in the scientific literature, and we are talking New England Journal of Medicine articles, the number one top journal, JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, New England Journal, it not only, as you know, is treating obesity, 
but it is curing fatty liver disease. It is curing certain forms of chronic kidney disease. And in diabetics, it's been shown to improve depression, these drugs. Wow. Um, okay, we're going to stay sh- not shallow, but because uh, I know we're running out of time with you. I'm a huge fan of the laser. Yeah. What is the best new laser treatment? Because all these lasers and these these sort of aesthetic clinics and using all these really has changed, uh, pushed back the need very often for cosmetic surgery in a good way. It, I feel like it's it's there's a lot of good to it. You know, it's an interest. I'm glad you asked me about that because I would just a very brief thing that I find very interesting. So I graduated med school in 1986. If you would have told me in 1986 that in 2024, all right, you're still going to be cutting skin, lifting it, disrupting the blood supply, pulling it, whacking it off and using stitches to tighten the skin. I would have said, no, 2024, we'll be using energy transmission, lasers, radio frequency, ultrasound. And yet they're still very weak for tightening the skin. But you're right. The future is in non-invasive skin tightening. The latest state-of-the-art non-invasive skin tightening, in my opinion, and by the way, this is one of those things where you ask five plastic surgeons, you're going to get five different opinions. But I think the best things are things that may mechanically induce microtrauma, like those some form of microneedling or coring technology, and at the same time, deliver energy, whether it's heat, radio frequency, laser, to cause some tissue removal, tissue trauma to induce healing, and tissue tightening. That's the state-of-the-art stuff. So those things that you can find at your dermatologist or plastic surgeon's office that combine this microneedling with either laser or radio frequency, I think those are the best things going right now. And they have very little recovery. And are those like we all hear about, like Morpheus? Um, you know, those are all the words Morpheus, and we always hear about photofacials, Althera, Althera. Yep. Are those okay? Are those they're not a, as good as an actual surgery, but are they not bad ideas? If you want it a little tight, you want to look a little fresher, they're great ideas particularly if you're not expecting the right. facelift result, but we are on the threshold. Okay. Just like we're going to have self-driving robo cars in the next five years. I don't know if you've seen the vision pro yet, yeah. what that thing could do. I was playing with it with my son. It's crazy. It's a magic. It's magic, right? It's a new, new generation of technology, but we are on the threshold of converting from having to cut with a scalpel pull, remove, and stitch to being able to do it non-invasively or minimally invasively. Yeah, so the Morpheus 8, that's one been around for a while. That can be effective. Again, I'm a fan of actually inducing microtrauma to use the body's own growth factors to get the area to heal and tighten along with energy transmission. Okay, one last question. Who's going to retire first, you or Paul? So, Paul, I'll tell you why. Paul has a lot of outside interests. He has a young child. He he loves to do sort of business. He loves golf. He's very social. I love surgery. 
I am obsessed with being in the operating room. I love the hand-eye part of it. I love being in the flow. You know, when you're in really mm-hmm. good conversation or you just love what you know, watching, losing yourself in a movie. For me, when I start operating with the beep, 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 and I open up the incision and everybody's just focused on this individual, I love that feeling. I will be six feet under. That's how you know I'll be retired. I will never retire. And that's why I, I literally try to exercise every single day. I try, you know, Heather gets me down there, but I do cardio and weights every single day. And it's too bad we didn't have more time to talk about this Manjaro Ozempic thing because yeah. I could go on forever with that and give people advice on how to take those because I'm pretty much. We'll do another episode. And I'm sorry we didn't get to talk about your beginnings of empty nesting and how poor Heather sobbed hysterically on the plane going home from dropping off one of the kids. And I was like, well, I was curious, how did you take it? Were you just trying to be strong, but crying while she was gone? Okay. This is going to sound a little callous. I'm sorry, but I had the exact opposite reaction. It was more like, (laughs) you know, Uh, you are so not right. I am so not right, but I'm really good with change. I always have been. You know, every time Heather builds a house and then sells it, um, it's like, I'm going to miss this house. Nah, you know, new, new, new chapter. So for me, Empty Nester, I can't wait. All right. I can't wait to be able to spend time. You know, I, I sort of got married later, so I've always been a grandfather anyway you know the great thing about being a grandparent i'm not a grandfather yet but the great thing about being a grandparent is you take the grandchild and you give them back i'm ready to give them back (laughs) (laughs) you can't you're their father (laughs) and you got a lot more you got a lot more years of having them on the books i do want to have you back to talk about all the the weight loss stuff terry dubrow watch botched thank you so much Thank you so much. It was wonderful. A Huda Media Production.